Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, Go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhogue.com. Today, Tuesday, the 5th of February, 2019, episode 80. Can Hollywood get people away from privately owned cars and into shared cars? Does a task force in New Jersey to study autonomous vehicles represent the first glimmer of a federal autonomous vehicle administration? And I suggest that autonomous vehicles will eventually be mandated by the Americans with Disabilities Act. All this, right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So to kick things off today, I realized I haven't talked much about the actual shift to an autonomous sharing future. I mean, we've obviously discussed the need for this shift. We've discussed the fact that it that an autonomous future presupposes a car sharing future that is something as an alternative to private car ownership. and But we've never really gone into a discussion insofar as how that change is actually going to occur. I mean, like the actual practical mechanism to get people to change their mindset towards cars. I mean, yeah, we've said sort of in general kind of high-level things like, oh, you're going to have to sort of educate the public. You're going to have to sort of incentivize car sharing. You're going to have to, I don't know, tax uh, empty cars to make sure they're not just sort of buzzing around or not buzzing around, as it were, clogging up city streets with nobody inside simply to avoid tar- uh, parking tickets. So, but, but, but I really want to go into a discussion about how to actually do this. And so to, so to discuss this, I want to talk about an organization I don't think I necessarily mentioned uh, on this show yet. It's called PAVE. Uh, it stands for, uh, yeah, it's a ridiculous acronym, but it's actually a pretty useful one. Uh, Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. PAVE. Get it? All right. So um, it's a group that announced, uh, well, introduced itself uh, at CES 2019 in Las Vegas last month. So it's something like 26 companies in the automotive, industrial, uh, autonomous vehicle, educational, nonprofit uh, world, which have all come together. Um, some of the companies making this list are the likes of, let's see here, AAA, Audi, uh, obviously Waymo, Zooks, 
not to be confused with dating site Zusk. Uh, Zusk is the autonomous car company building an autonomous car from the ground up, their own chassis, not modifying an existing car. Uh, let's see, Mobileye, Munich, Reinsurance, America, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so lots of the biggest companies. Intel is in there. GM is in there, of course. Um, so they've come together to form, well, they describe it as this. Uh, PAVE is seeking to bring realistic, factual information to policymakers and the public so consumers and decision makers understand the technology, its current state, and its future potential, including the benefits and safety, mobility, and sustainability. Right, so there you have it then. Um, what else? The group says also that it will hold policy workshops in partnership with major academic institutions such as Stanford University's Center for Automotive Research to help policymakers understand AVs and their potential. It'll produce a website and social media content designed to reach broad audiences with factual, digestible information about AVs and their development. So, um, it, if I sound rather distrusting of all this, that's because I do. Look, I think I think the, the, the idea is fantastic, and I certainly applaud all these companies for coming together to form this thing. I think it's a great step. My concern is I don't think it's going to be very uh, effective, um, at least not on its own. And here's what I mean. So an admittedly sort of strange analogy came to me, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago, really. Um, smoking, right? So smoking used to be like the thing that all the cool kids did. It's what you did if you wanted to kind of prove that you weren't sort of some little hermit living all alone with your parents with no friends at all. Uh, Hollywood certainly described it as such, certainly presented it as such. All the cool folks in Hollywood were enjoying cigarettes, maybe even a cigar, certainly a pipe. Um, if you had more than a high school education along with a martini glass in your hand. So it was just the cool, sexy thing to do to smoke a cigarette or some other form of tobacco. Uh, so, but an interesting thing changed, right? Um, suddenly, smoking, at least here in the U.S., and indeed throughout, finally, much of Europe and elsewhere besides, is finally becoming less of a cool thing. In fact, rather like not wearing your helmet while skiing or snowboarding, you're generally looked at as a bit of an idiot if you still smoke, especially if you're under the age of like 30 or 40. Here's where I'm going with all this. Um, you know, cigarettes were and continue to be obviously heavily taxed. Okay, that didn't really do too much. I mean, I'm sure it had an impact, of course, but still that wasn't always necessarily sufficient. Um, so there were, you know, financial incentives not to smoke. There were educational programs to disincentivize or at least cause people to be less interested in smoking. These things, I think, okay, they were fine. They were necessary. They were, in fact, even a bit useful. But I think, and admittedly, I don't have any numbers to back this up, I think the biggest impact on making smoking sort of die down was precisely the fact that it became less cool to do it. And we know that it became less cool to do it because you ended up seeing it less and less in Hollywood. To put this a totally different way, Hollywood effectively brought about an entire cultural step change with respect to tobacco products just by virtue of sort of showing leading roles enjoying cigarettes, pipes, whatever, less often than in the past. And in this way, just sort of downplayed the significance and indeed downplayed the coolness factor of smoking cigarettes. 
You know, if you didn't see James Bond uh, downing a martini every seven scenes in a movie, uh, you'd probably see that less cool, too. I mean, it already is the case that, uh, you know, this is just not a thing he does as much anymore. In fact, there was a funny study conducted a while back that said something like, uh, if you actually counted all the martinis James Bond was uh, enjoying, uh, indulging in, then uh, frankly, he should have been totally useless drunk throughout the entire movie. The, the, here's where I'm going with all this. Um, if you think about the necessary change with respect to people's perception of cars, you, you, we're really talking about a culture change here. We're not talking about just an educational change. I mean, look, you can tell somebody all you want. You've got to eat your fruits and vegetables. You've got to go to the gym for this, that, and the other reason. You can give them crash courses in physiology and health science and this, that, the other. You can do everything you like to kind of force feed this change of lifestyle down somebody's throat. But because this represents such a fundamental shift in an individual's character, as it were, their sort of outlook, their approach to life, their perception of what it is that is required to live an ordinary, good, happy, healthy life, that's a decision they need to make on their own. And and if they don't arrive at that conclusion on their own, they're never going to make that change, no matter how much you educate them. So so, so again, what I guess I'm saying is, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of folks say, well, I'll just pick on Europe for a moment in the broadest sense of the word Europe in various countries. I've, I've picked on a lot of people there just asking them, you know, uh, especially younger folks, I'm like, hey, why do you guys smoke? Like, surely you know this stuff is really toxic. It's like really bad for you. And the answer is kind of just kind of spread, you know, run the whole spectrum of sort of either, oh, well, we don't care. Everything's kind of bad to you to more or less of a degree. Uh, walking outside, getting in a car is even more dangerous for you than smoking to, uh, yeah, you know, who really cares or alternatively, and eh, it's not really that bad. Um, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, even in the face of just tremendous amount of education and public programs and obviously reduced advertising, at the end of the day, what gets people to stop doing a thing which is bad or harmful or at least suboptimal in some way, they need to come to this conclusion on their own. You can't make somebody decide this, right? So, all right, let me, let me get to my point then. Um, with autonomous cars, this requires people to stop caring about private car ownership. This requires people to come to the conclusion on their own that not only is private car ownership bad, it's, you know, it's certainly a suboptimal condition going forward, and it'll actually benefit them to enjoy a shared car world, right? You, you can't teach people this. They need to come to this conclusion on their own. And the analogy that I have for this, okay, the other analogy I have to verify, to validate this anyway, is um, what we've seen with electric cars. Um, I mean, there, there are just volumes of stories of folks who questioned or doubted or didn't really care about electric cars. And then within the first, like, seven seconds of driving their first electric car around a block, I don't care whether it's a Tesla, an electric Golf, um, a Nissan Leaf, a Chevy Bolt, within, like, the first seven seconds, they are sold. Okay, sure, maybe they will question whether they can actually afford the electric car. Maybe they'll question, okay, is it's is its range sufficient, you know, this, that, the other. But insofar as the actual technology, insofar as the actual promise of electric cars generally, and at least insofar as the recognition that, my goodness, moving to an electric car is like going from like a rotary phone to an iPhone, 
overnight, instantly, or from a record player to listening to your music on Pandora, that, that recognition is virtually instantaneous. People get it right away. And so they then arrive at that same conclusion that, yeah, this really is the future. And this is why electric car sales are continuing to go up. And, you know, it's becoming less of a concern for most folks, at least where they have easy access to charging, admittedly. And so that's kind of where I'm going with this whole thing about, about uh, education for autonomous cars. Like, as we'll discuss in, a, in the next segment, actually, um, you know, there's, depending on whom you ask and depending on where you read, it seems to be the case that something like 75% of people are still rather uneasy about the idea of being driven around by an automated, uh, an autonomous car. Um, and so, yeah, you could say, well, part of that's going to begin with the need for education. Okay, sure. I would suggest, though, it's going to need something much more than just education because you can just brain dump all the stats, figures, data, et cetera, that you like into somebody's head insofar as the safety of autonomous cars and especially with respect to how dangerous human-driven cars are. None of that would be sufficient, or at least not as sufficient anyway, as if they simply arrive at this conclusion on their own. And how do they do that? Well, the best way, of course, is to experience it for themselves. But failing that... It's go- the, we're going to need to see this, this, this alternate reality, this new reality present itself in the cultural limelight, you know. So to really run with that smoking analogy to an admittedly absurd degree, uh, in the same way that you stopped seeing people, you know, leading characters enjoying cigarettes every couple seconds on screen, I guess the analogy would uh, translate to something like this. Um, you would stop seeing leading characters on screen getting into buying or otherwise enjoying their own private fancy cars, you know, or any car for that matter. And rather, you know, instead of getting into their own privately owned and garaged car, they instead, as a matter of course, tend to summon up an autonomous car to pick them up and get them from A to B. And you just sort of start to eliminate little by little this this emotional, very real emotional romance, this affection that we all have Myself included, admittedly, I've said this many times, myself included, that we'll slowly start to wean ourselves off of this admittedly very emotional bond that we have to our cars. Now, I've always said the end game, a level five car, which has no steering wheel and no pedals, I think that will effectively sever that emotional bond. Because once you get rid of that human machine interface, as it were, the steering wheel and pedals, I think that will sever the emotional bond. But until we get there, we're going to need something much more. And I think that more is going to reveal itself, or at least needs to reveal itself, through culture, through the media, through Hollywood. So there you have it. Um, I realize this seems a bit out there, a bit even maybe absurd, maybe at least unnecessary, I don't know. Let me hear your thoughts on this. Really, the question is, do you agree, or not, that, you know, demonstrating a shift to an autonomous, but crucially to a, to a car-sharing future you know, whether it'll be mostly motivated along by such representation, Hollywood and the media generally, to make private ownership no longer a cool thing. Let me know what you think, and we'll certainly come back and discuss more of this later. Until then, genuinely pleased and happy that we've got an organization like PAVE. Um, By all means, keep educating, but I firmly believe we need more than just education. We We need a massive cultural shift.
All right, moving on then. Gosh, that previous segment went on way longer than I expected. I guess I cared about this more than I realized. Sometimes I amaze even myself. Um, all right, so moving on then. Uh, a task force. Yes, a task force. Uh, I love that word choice, by the way. Has been created, uh, let's see, in New Jersey to study autonomous vehicles. Uh, if only because the previous segment did go on so long. Um, frankly, I don't have much to say on this anyway, other than this. Um, look, the task force is designed to, as they say, um, to be responsible for conducting a study of autonomous vehicles and recommending all the sort of regulations, the rules, the laws, presumably safety issues that will be necessary to properly, uh, you know, integrate these vehicles with human-driven cars in the in the years ahead. Um, here's why I care about this. Uh, I had run a survey on Twitter, I'm sure you remember, about whether um, there's there's a there's an argument to be made in favor of one day Congress uh, rolling out an FAVA, a Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration, much the way we've had the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, since 1958. And I've frankly argued rather more strongly in subsequent episodes that, in fact, I think there's a very real need for that, or at least that there will be a very real need for this uh, in the very near future. Um so obviously this is a far, far step away from that, but I think it kind of, it's certainly similar in, I guess, kind, if not in degree to a full-on federal administration. I mean, this this notion that New Jersey is saying, hey, look, uh, and by the way, just in case you want to Google it, it's called Assembly Joint Resolution 164. Um, it's been sponsored by New Jersey uh, Assembly Democrat Daniel Benson of the 14th District and Andrew Zwicker of the 16th District and Pamela Lampett of the 6th District. Um, you know, I think this is just a step in that direction that, that suggests a very real need for government oversight for all aspects of the development and indeed the deployment of autonomous cars. So um, that's kind of all I have on that. Uh, again, if you have any further thoughts regarding my I was going to say admittedly somewhat crazy, but I think really not such a crazy idea for a FAVA. You know where to send your ideas. Shoot them my way. We'll discuss them further. All right. So if only in light of the really fantastic discussion that we had last week about the need for autonomous vehicles for the elderly, the disabled, and those just otherwise unable to get themselves from A to B, um, I stumbled across uh, a report here. Uh, let's see. There was a there's a quote by Executive Vice President of the uh, AARP. That's the American Association of Retired Persons. It's Nancy Leamond. Um, she says, "quote unquote, um, autonomous vehicles uh, are a critical part of livable communities." As we talk to mayors and other officials around the country, to be successful, people of all ages will need to trust the machine to do the driving. And right now, there's a very significant trust gap. A full three-quarters of U.S. drivers of all ages report feeling afraid uh, to ride in a self-driving car. And then it turns out that there was um, a panel discussion which outlined kind of three overarching points um, to ensure that autonomous vehicles do a good job for uh, for the elderly, for the disabled. Um, so point number one, the vehicle should be affordable to senior citizens on a fixed income. Point number two, the vehicle should be accessible to senior citizens who need to use mobility aids and walking devices to get around and Point number three, the manufacturers of autonomous vehicles should commit to providing training to elderly people about how to correctly use a driverless car. These sound all quite obvious and make a lot of sense. Um, certainly, these cars have to be you know, easy enough to learn, 
Uh, I'm really thrilled, for example, just with respect to the Uber app that my 80-year-old parents managed to learn how to use it with essentially no problem at all, especially impressive for my mom, who's frankly never used a computer in her life. So um, clearly, folks understand the need to make this stuff easy to use. This will be especially important going forward uh, for folks with disabilities uh, and their ability to not only use, but to I was going to say blindly trust, um, but yeah, that'll work, to blindly trust, literally in some cases, autonomous vehicles. But it's the first point that I really want to address real quickly. Something just occurred to me, this notion that obviously vehicles, autonomous vehicles should be affordable to senior citizens on a fixed income. Well, this seems to be a day of making bold claims. Uh, I just announced that I think that it's going to be up to Hollywood to bring about the cultural phase shift that we need to kind of wean people off of private car ownership. And now I'm going to say something rather bolder still. Here we go. I think that there is an argument to be made that at least for the elderly and the disabled, autonomous vehicles should be mandated by law as a fundamental basic human right. Now, I realize this might sound a bit extreme until you realize it isn't. The ADA, I believe it's what it's called, the American with Disabilities Act, has already mandated such things as wheelchair ramps going in and out of buildings, those yellow dotted sort of ramps that go into the intersections so that um, people who cannot see are able to feel where the intersection of a street is so they know when they're actually exiting the sidewalk. Obviously, we've got the audio uh, cues on crosswalks, those audible crosswalk signals that let you know when it's safe to cross, right? And these are all mandated by law to make it easier and presumably safer for folks who are otherwise unable to safely do these things, to get up the staircase into a building, to cross a street, right? Well, if you extend that to its logical conclusion then clearly this needs to apply to mobility as well, getting yourself from A to B in the broader sense. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mark, this is absurd, it's ridiculous, and in any event, it's super expensive, and who the heck's going to pay for all this? Well, first of all, who's already paying for all those ramps being retrofitted to buildings? Yeah, taxes, obviously. Who's paying for those audible crosswalks? Yeah, it's coming from taxes. You guessed it. Um, And okay, I know you're probably going to argue something like, yeah, well, folks who can't drive already have people who can drive them. There's Uber drivers, there's their family and their friends and whomever else can drive them A to B. Yeah, that's true. But you could also then make the argument that why do you need ramps going up and down buildings? You've got somebody who can help somebody in a wheelchair get get up those stairs as well. You don't really need the ramp. I mean, it's all kind of a matter of degree, and it kind of depends where do you want to draw the line? Where is that threshold for what's considered sufficient? I think the litmus test is, and the whole purpose, the very intent behind the American with Disabilities Act is precisely to ensure that folks, say, in a wheelchair or who are blind, in fact, do not require any assistance from anybody else at all, or at least to a hugely reduced degree, to a minimal degree, right? And so, yeah, if you extend that to its logical conclusion, then obviously the end game is they should be able to summon up an autonomous car to get them from A to B. They shouldn't need to rely on anybody else at all. And we've seen other examples of where former seeming luxuries were also reduced, or I should say enhanced, to the status of fundamental human right um, in certain Scandinavian countries, or maybe just a particular one. I'm drawing a blank now. It's either Sweden, Norway, or Finland, I suppose. Or maybe it was Denmark. I don't know. Um... Broadband internet 
was, a f- was, was formally declared a basic human right. Now, again, I, you know, this is obviously paid for with taxes, but I mean, okay, so what? We pay for lots of things with taxes. We pay for roads and bridges. Well, obviously here in the U.S. we don't really. That's why our bridges are failing and our roads suck. But, but, but in general, that's the idea is that our taxes pay for this basic infrastructure. Our taxes pay for those, those ramps going up buildings to, to allow people with wheelchairs to you know, avoid the staircases. I mean, our taxes already go to things to help folks live their lives in an ordinary capacity, more or less anyway. So I think there's a perfectly valid argument that autonomous vehicles, at least basic autonomous vehicles in some sense of the word anyway, must eventually be deployed as a basic right that is for free, yes, paid for with taxes, uh, for folks with disabilities, for the elderly, or those who otherwise just can't get themselves from A to B. Um, To Mr. David New, with whom we spoke last week, if you're listening to this segment, I'm certainly curious to hear your thoughts on what you think about this. And to everyone else, that is the question. Do you agree that there's an argument to be made, at least, that autonomous vehicles, at least in their most most basic form, even if they're strictly geo-limited to a certain area, do you agree that when the technology is ready, they must be mandated for, for folks with disabilities? And if you don't agree... Give me a really compelling argument. I am all ears. Hey there, just a friendly reminder. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes. And don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. All right, well, on that bombshell, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the week. We'll see you back here on Friday. Bye-bye.